This is Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals you of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And next we have Matthew 18 to 35, I believe. The parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Thanks, Carol. Bill, I'd like to welcome up uh, Reverend Bill Bosca today, who's going to bring us God's message, and it's a real blessing to have um, Bill a part of our church, but especially to just to hear from him today. So, um, Bill, I'd just like to pray for you before you preach. And um, Dear Lord God, we, uh, we thank you um, for Bill and uh, for the message that you have placed on his heart, Lord. I just pray your blessing over him, Lord. Uh, for wisdom and clarity of thought as he preaches, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that each of our hearts may be open mm -hmm. to the words uh, that he speaks uh, as they are words from you, Lord God. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Bill. Mm. Well, good morning, church. Um, my name is Bill Bosker and I've been um, privileged to be part of this church for a few years now. And uh, I just want to say a welcome to Aletha. Uh, it's been a while since you've been away and you're, um, yeah, you're recovering, um, no doubt still recovering. Um, the passage that we're, well, the, the theme of today really uh, comes from the Apostles' Creed. So uh, let me um, work with that. And I'd like to just pray that what I have been working on and has become part of my heart and I need to keep changing, maybe also what changes you today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are really thankful that you are a speaking God. You are not silent. And you have spoken amazing words through your Holy Spirit in the scriptures. 
You have spoken amazing words through the word himself, Jesus, and we now assemble in his name and we want you to write on our hearts the things that you want us to know, to change us, to transform us. So Holy Spirit, the one who operates through the word to point to Jesus, speak through me and, and live transformed lives, that we will walk out of this door uh, different than the way we walked in. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the theme that um, our church has been working on over uh, the last um, few weeks has been from the Apostles' Creed in this great series, I believe, of 12 statements. And uh, the one that we're looking at today is uh, number 10, number 10 statement. And the other thing that Andrew um, tends to emphasise, and I want to do the same thing, is that it's easy to confess a creed. It's harder to live a creed. Live what we confess. So let's keep that running through our minds. But the question that I just want to open up with is, where does the forgiveness of sins fit in the Apostles' Creed? Because when we look at the creed, uh, go back a slide there, even though it's, it's faint, there are three I believe, I believe in statements. So I believe in God the Father, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So we actually believe in that triune God. And now we're looking um, at a sentence which starts with, I believe in the Holy Spirit, that statement, and then the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. They belong together. So the communion of saints, the, the, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Now we're looking at the forgiveness of sins under, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. Now I want to wrap, unwrap a bit of that today because that's an important thing. Why is the forgiveness of sins under the section of I believe in the Holy Spirit? Well, it, it actually comes within the setting of the Christian church, the communion of saints. And it, that is the place worldwide where the Holy Spirit wants to convict us of sins like we felt through our prayer this morning. He wants us to have the assurance of pardon in Christ's name and he wants us in that body of Christ, the communion of saints, to be a picture of what it looks like when people forgive each other. Another reason... I believe the fathers who put the Apostles' Creed together un, under the, under the uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit is all the benefits of Christ's finished work only become ours when the Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts. We accept it by faith, but faith is just the empty hands that can receive, but it's the Holy Spirit working that in us. So, it's not, for, it's, it's not for no reason that the Holy Spirit, and for those of you who like to have the global view before you get into detail, that's how I am, the next slide shows us what we're going to do today. And, and that is uh, five points, um, not necessarily the three-pointer that you're used to, um, but I will tell you this, um, points two and three are uh, the big body part of this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to look at... Oh, this has gone up, hasn't it? 
Um, uh, we're going to look at our need to be forgiven by God, our need to forgive others, and then a word about forgiving ourselves, and finally the importance of daily forgiveness. Now, I like to work with a ministry sentence, which we're talking about today. And in a sentence, the forgiveness of sins is at the heart of the gospel message. But I think one of the best expressions I've found comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. And this is what it says. I believe that God, because of Christ's atonement, will never hold against me any of my sins, nor my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, in his grace, God grants me the righteousness of Christ to free me forever from judgment. What a beautiful definition of the forgiveness of sins. Now, things from the other side of Christianity. And I came across a, a lady called Marganita Lusky. Uh, you, she is actually in England quite a, a personality. She ran a TV show for many years. So she was quite famous in England, but not so famous here, I guess. But she was a lady who made no secret of her atheism. And one day, as she was conducting one of these television interviews, uh, she had this moment of self-revelation of candour, and she blurted out, what I envy most about Christians is your forgiveness. And then she said, I have no one to forgive me. That's a true atheist confession, isn't it? If you don't believe in God, who is the forgiver, then you have got no one to forgive you. And, and she, in a moment of candour, just declared it like it is. She was understanding that this is the very heart of the gospel, even if she fully, didn't fully comprehend it. John Stott says that it is as the forgiveness of sins is as indispensable to our life and health of the soul as food is to your body. You are not going to deny yourself food, normally, are you? Why would you deny yourself the forgiveness of sins? I was thinking about a story of a mother who was trying to explain this to her child. Because the child was saying, Mum, why do we have to have this forgiveness of sins? And do you know what this mum tried to, to picture something for her child? She said, forgiveness is God's gift to help us live in a world that's not fair. I just reflected on that. Forgiveness is God's gift to help us live in a world that's broken, that's not fair. Now, this, this lady, this atheist, she was envious of Christian having forgiveness of sins. I was wondering how many people that you know are envious that you have your sins forgiven? How many people envy us that we're actually forgiven, that we declared not guilty? Do they know us as forgiven people? Do they see it as attractive that you are forgiven and want it for themselves? And I was thinking about how this fits in with, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Extending forgiveness in a community context of the church 
is probably one of the best ways that the world can see forgiveness working. Now, we are people from all different backgrounds, all different ages, all different occupations, all different social status, and yet we can live together and we can do that well. Wow, what sort of message is that to the world? And that's why I think it's great to see this in that context. One other thought, it, it came to me late last night. If you've got a good memory, February 2020, something tragic happened in our nation. Four little children were mowed down by a driver in Sydney. Do you remember that incident? The names of the parents are Danny and Layla Abdullah. And as a result of that, their testimony was amazing, but as a result of that, there is this I Forgive website. I, small i, letter f number four, give. I Forgive. Later on when you go home, check out that website. And what has happened as a catastrophe to the family has risen up as a movement in our country. The federal and state governments have actually recognised it in some way. But that's again the body of Christ rising up to show forgiveness of and New Testament words for forgiveness. I've gone through every word I could find in the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek and tried to summarise all those words. This is what it looks like. Old Testament, guilt being taken away, covered over by sacrifice, resulting in a divine pardon. Gipe away sins, blank slate, concealing or covering over a person and to show mercy. The New Testament words say it like this, to wash away, to release someone from a debt. That's the word Matthew in 18 is using. To pass over an offence, to not punish as is deserved, to, to pardon, to wipe out, to cover, to conceal, to take away. Can, can you see the wide gamut of what forgiveness of sins looks like in the Bible? And I, 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 I want to name this guy, a lecturer at Ridley College. He wrote a beautiful essay on forgiveness and he came out with some pithy little phrases. No, they're clauses because they've got a verb in it. Um, so the forgiveness in the scriptures can be summarised like this. A penalty overturned, debts cancelled, relationships restored, hearts cleansed, victory completed, retribution surrendered. What a condensed way of looking at forgiveness. So that's point number by God. Now, most people, if you would talk to them in the street and ask them how things are going and how do you reckon the world's really going, what's life like for you, most people will say something's wrong or something's broken. Now, of course, we've got eyes to see that there's also a lot of beauty in God's world amidst the brokenness. And then when you drill a little bit deeper... When we explore this brokenness honestly, I have to confess that I'm part of the brokenness. And the brokenness that I'm part of mostly comes to do with our relationship tensions or relationship breakdown. It's not usually with your dog or cat. It's usually with other people. I don't know whether you find that the same. But when we think of how it was from the beginning, 
From the beginning, God tells us he's committed to relationships. You only have to look at God himself in Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He is relational. He is relationship personified. And then he made us to be in relationship with him. And if you read from that first book in the Bible, Genesis 1, God looks at everything he had made, including us, to be in relationship with him. And what does he say? It is very good to be in relationship with him. But you know the story. When Satan, the father of lies, saw the relationship that God was about to enter into, he wanted to frustrate God's plans and remove his pleasure. How did he do it? With deceit, with half and Eve. Believing Satan rather than God led to the breakdown of humanity's relationship with God. Believing the lie instead of the truth led to our relationship breakdown, which we call the fall. Now, knowing that relationships are fragile and easily is to show us through Christ what it looks like to pursue relationship as well as to restore relationship. And that's basically the the whole storyline of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And this quote I found rather interesting. I I had to think about it, but it's an important quote from um, Counselling Insights. Satan has wagered that a fallen world cannot be a place where relationships are nurtured and strengthened. He's wagered. That this is not the place where relationships can be nurtured and strengthened. And so God's way is for forgiveness to prove Satan has wagered that a fallen world cannot be a place where relationships are nurtured and strengthened. So forgiveness is God's way of proving Satan wrong. I'm so glad he did that. The parable of Jesus that we see here, and it is a parable... So it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning is a pithy way to look at a parable. The parable is in response to Peter's question about forgiveness. And it tells us so much. It tells us that our sin is actually a rebellion against God and living our way instead of his. But it's like we owe God for everything we've done wrong and we start accumulating a debt. And the debt increases every day. We get deeper and deeper into debt. And, and, the, and the parable tells us that we can never repay it. We also see in the parable a day of reckoning comes when the king wants to settle accounts. What can we do in that case? And the parable shows us you can only beg for mercy. That's what the servant did. He begged for mercy. At this, verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. Now, let's lock ourselves into that statement. I'll pay you back everything. It is a parable, but Jesus is telling us how much this man owed. And you read very easily, you know, it was so many bags of gold. But I went and did the calculation from years' wages, how many years, and I, 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 I got my calculator out and I thought, that's a fair bit of money, 1.4 million. 
And then I looked at it and I thought, no, I am about three or four decimal points out. It's actually $14,000 million. That's what the servant owed. It's almost like you trying to pay Australia's national debt. That's how impossible it is. And, and he begs, begs the master, begs the king, and the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. Totally released of that burden. Free. How do you think he felt? Really? How do you think he felt? Free, released, in awe of the king? That would have been the right response. And what does forgiveness look like? I, I am indebted to a book which we've had in our family for many, many years. It's called Dangerous Journey. And I'm going to show you three slides that this little book has. We've read it to our children. Every one of them has heard it over and over again. It's from Pilgrim's Progress, but it's the children's version. And here we see Christian, who is the pilgrim, and he is burdened by a load of sin. The next slide shows us that he comes upon the cross. He sees the light of God's love and the burden falls off his back. And, and the person has captured Bunyan's meaning. It rolls off... No, go back. It rolls down the hill and goes into the corner into that empty grave. The symbolism of the burden rolling back and then buried in the grave. And then the next one is you know, doing the best star jump you know how. You know, so filled with joy that your sins have been forgiven. I love those pictures. They are forever imprinted in my mind. And I know Martin referred to them last Sunday night. I've got the pictures. He gave you the words. Hmm. King David says it like this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. And if you dig around the word blessed, in Aussie terms it basically means happy. Happy as. That's what it means. Of course, we've done nothing to deserve God's kindness and mercy except accumulate our debt. That's where we are. And then Jesus, I am of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That's Jesus in our place. And the benefit of Christ in our place only becomes personally yours and mine through believing that what Jesus has done is for me and I receive it from the empty hands of faith and the Holy Spirit makes me understand and receive. says this, and again, it, it's theological words that I couldn't improve on. Without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ. Listen to this. As if I had never sinned or been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. And all I need to do is accept this gift of God with a believing heart. Now when Peter and Paul begin to preach the gospel in Acts, it's really interesting to see what 
was that I've been looking through Acts and Acts 2 is Peter's first sermon and Acts um, 13 is where Paul gets underway with his message. But listen to how they preach the gospel in those early New Testament days. Peter says, repent, and that means turn yourself around 180 degrees. From going that way, going that way. Repent, 180 degree turn. He says, go away from your own way to God's way, be baptised, and by that he means the symbolism of having your sins washed away, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Peter. Paul says it like this, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And then listen to this sentence. Through him, through Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. And for his Jewish audience, he says, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Wow. And then when Paul goes into a fuller explanation of the forgiveness of sins in Romans, he gives it the legal court of law picture, the prosecution, the judge, the advocate. And then Paul starts calling forgiveness of sins by its legal definition, which is justification. That is paid. It means atonement because your sins are completely taken away. See, that's how we can be restored as people with our mighty God. Now, do you see your need for forgiveness? Do you understand that you need to be forgiven? It's not just, I'm sin. I sinned today and I sinned yesterday. I sinned the day before. I need forgiveness. I need that. So how good is God when we keep sinning that he's still seeing that decided to send his one and only son? Now if you see that, and I hope that many of you do, it's only because the Holy Spirit opened your eyes. That's what it takes. He convicted you. He convinced you that Christ has done it all. But if you are here and you are not in that place yet, but this is interesting you. Forgiveness of sins. Relationship with God. I would like you to say or hear today, this is your invitation. This is your invitation to hear about the forgiveness of sins and receive it in Jesus' name. We'd love to tell you more about that good news. And please ask me or Michael or, or the person who took you to church because we'd love to talk to you about that. Let's look at our need to forgive others. Or even if you're just listening about forgiveness, dare I say that forgiving others should be self-evident. You know, if you've been forgiven, isn't it self-evident that you should forgive others? Think about it. Well, Peter knew that he should forgive his brother and sister. Now, he was a disciple, he had been listening to Jesus. He knew I should forgive my brother and sister. And you know what he does with this statement? Uh, should I forgive my brother seven times? He knows what the rabbis teach. The, rap the Jewish rabbis taught you can forgive or you should forgive the sins of your neighbour. Even if he repeats the offence, you should forgive him three times. Three times. Peter knows that. That's his background. So Peter says, ha, 
What about if I forgive him seven times? Oh, I must be, that must be okay, seven times? How does Jesus answer that? Not seven times, but 70 times, or even 70 times seven. And so that's what Jesus also explains in the parable. You see, this servant had been cleared of a massive debt. And this forgiven servant, who should have been jumping for joy, he sees a fellow servant who owes him 100 days' wages. Compared to $14,000 million, he owes him 20000 And so he goes to him and says, Come, pay me back everything you owe. Scruffs him by the neck. And, and the servant says exactly the same words that he said to the king. Be patient with me and I'll pay you back everything. But the other servant refused to show mercy and forgive the debt. Now, in the parable, you've got to think about all the other servants. They would have seen what happened to this one servant and they would have thought, wow, what a master we have to forgive $14,000 million. But then as soon as that wow was experienced, they saw him go and scruff the neck of a fellow servant and say, pay back everything you owe. And all of a sudden their wow turned to outrage. How can you do that? And so they go and tell the master, did you see what happened? Hear the master's response. This is strong language. You wicked servant, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. I have to add there that that's an impossibility. How can you be sold off with your family, chucked in jail, and pay back $14,000 million? No hope. So does this sound serious to you? Listen to Jesus' application of this parable in verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. So this is really dealing with our need to forgive others. And this is the pointy end of Jesus' parable. This is what he's teaching. If you are unable to forgive your brother or sister or unwilling, and especially when they have said they're sorry and like the servant, he said, I'm sorry, I'll repay you, especially when they ask for forgiveness. If you are unable to forgive them then, you don't understand how much you have been forgiven. And if you don't understand how much you've been forgiven your debt, if you don't understand Christ's forgiveness, you actually don't understand the cross. Nor do you understand the gospel. And so you're probably to forgive or be forgiven, understand the cross, and if you still can't forgive, wow, this, this is serious business. And, and if you look at Jesus teaching the same sort of thing in, in the Lord's Prayer, and I, what I, it stunned me when I discovered this. The forgiveness of sins in the Apostles' Creed is the only thing, that's human stuff in the Lord's Prayer, but it's the only one that's specifically repeated in the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed. And when Jesus teaches his disciples 
the prayer about forgiveness, verse 14 and 15 of Matthew chapter 6, the, the first thing Jesus does after teaching the prayer is he picks out the forgiveness of sins and says, that's the one I've got to apply here. If other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Oh, I had to take a deep breath there. If forgiveness of sins is shorthand for being saved, for being rescued by grace, then to not forgive someone else means, I don't think you understand salvation. I don't think you understand grace. I don't think you understand being rescued. It's as serious as that. Now, if we have been forgiven and we know the depth and length of God's amazing grace, I'll qualify this, even if it's really hard to do, because there are things in life when it's nearly impossible to forgive, it feels like. But if we know that we've been forgiven... There will be a way to forgive others, even if it's difficult, because grace will find a way. Grace will find a way. But on the other hand, if you fail to forgive others when they've wronged you, you'll be the one who suffers the most. That's what Jesus is saying. Anger, resentment will fester in you. It'll contaminate you. It'll poison you. It'll even start to control your reactions and your life. And that's Jesus' severe warning at the end of the parable. Literally, Jesus says, being angry, his master delivered him to the tormentors. And to understand this, it's a difficult sentence. Charles Swindoll says and reminds us that when you're translating this, the torturers is a noun, not a verb. It's not that he was handed over to be tortured. That's the verb. He was handed over to torturers now. And this is how he explains it, and I think it's really good. Jesus is saying, the one who refuses to give, even the Christian who harbours a judge, a grudge and entertains bitter feelings toward another will be turned over to torturous thoughts, feelings of misery and even agonising rest within. And that's true spiritual spiritually as well as psychologically. The Holy Spirit through Paul gives us the converse. He says, Be kind to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, you can't just receive forgiveness from God and say, Thank you! And then not go and forgive others. It doesn't make sense. It's like water going into the Dead Sea. So do you get how God has handled your forgiveness? Do you, do you get that? Can you see God's extravagant gushing over grace? Because God is absurdly generous. Generous beyond any earthly comparison. He forgives because it's beautiful. He forgives because it's loving. He forgives because it's tender. The very attributes of God to forgive. Not because he has to, but because he loves to. He wants to declare us guilt-free. 
Now, if you've been blessed in such a way, with such an inheritance, if you have such a, 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 an experience of the grace of God, to begrudge others a tiny bit of God's grace, that doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. That's what Jesus is saying. Examine yourselves. Well, what does forgiveness look like? I've got to try to condense this really briefly, but I, I'll do it this way. Forgive completely, forgive repeatedly, forgive sacrificially, forgive pursuingly. And just a sentence to elaborate each one. Forgive completely. It means fully cancel the debt another person has against you. Give up your right to seek punishment and instead seek their good. Forgive completely. Forgive repeatedly. We've got to do it over and over again. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Therefore, we have to keep forgiving each other. Forgive sacrificially. Well, forgiveness is costly. To pay a debt that much is costly. And it's not based on feelings. I often don't feel like forgiving. It's an act of the will which says I am following Christ's example. He gave himself to me. Forgive pursuingly. So not only offering forgiveness, but pursuing reconciliation, repairing relationships. That is the gospel. And our country is aching about that very thing. All this black people matter, all this reconciliation with our First Nations peoples, forgiveness, pursuing reconciliation, repairing relationships. In short, forgive others as God forgave you. Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west. I love speaking about this. As far as east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Magnetic poles, we've got north pole, south pole. You can, make, you can measure north and south. Have a guess when you try to measure east and west. You just go round and round the globe. That's what you do. That's how far east is from the west. Wow. That's how far we'll go to forgive others if we understand how far God has gone for us. Now this is a very contemporary subject and a lot of popular psychology is written about this today and it's a lot about forgiving yourself. You've got to learn to forgive yourself and some context, it's, it's like this as an illustration. You went through the day, you didn't do all the things you planned, you feel really guilty, you feel let down, I let myself down, I let others down. What you need to do, this popular psychology says, is just forgive yourself. Well, it falls into a trap, really, of man-centred thinking and man-centred solutions. Forgive yourself. It's misleading. And it's actually a very shallow view of forgiveness. It's much better, more effective, to live in the power of God's forgiveness. To claim the blood of Jesus over your life again and again. So, so when things do get you down, and they will, when you have unmet expectations, don't beat yourself up and try to forgive yourself. Rather talk to God about it. Hand it over to him. And if it's about sin in your life, if it really is sin, well... Deal with it honestly and speak to God about it. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
See, I'd rather be forgiven by God than myself. What have I got to forgive myself anyway? Can I pull grace up by the bootstraps and forgive myself? Is that how it works? But God has the cross of Jesus. He has the, the empty grave to prove his power to forgive. And so what I suggest to you is that if you're in this state of being very down, don't try the path of forgiving yourself. Not at all. Please remind me, refresh me of your grace again, and then you'll be strong. Lastly, the importance of daily forgiveness. The Lord taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, Matthew 6. He teaches us to pray for daily bread. The next breath, he, preaches, he teaches us to pray for daily forgiveness. Theology. Pray for your daily bread. That's a no-brainer. Why don't we also pray for the forgiveness of our sins? Because there's an assumption in this prayer that Jesus taught us, isn't it? The children of God, who by faith in Jesus are saved, are still guilty of accumulating new debts, new unmet obligations. No surprises there. So we have a, a daily need for forgiveness. And the good news is that Jesus says, daily you will receive it. And forgiveness, as we said earlier, is good for the soul. Like bread for the body, forgiveness for the soul. Well, I had to ask myself this question. Okay, then, why don't I ask for forgiveness more often? Because I struggle with that. And I think, communally, we're bought into the lie that we're inherently good and don't need to repent. I think we're bought into that lie so much. We're part of a culture that keeps saying that, that we find it difficult to apologise without making excuses. I hope I had been a bit brash. I wasn't very kind. And the Holy Spirit brought it up in our relationship. And I found it really hard to apologise. It was like pulling teeth for me. Because if I started apologising, excuse, excuse. So if that's like that for me, I'm sure you're in the same boat. We don't ask for forgiveness much because we've bought the lie. But the other half of what Jesus taught us is as we have forgiven our debtors. Wow. Someone said once that we should be forgivingly fit. I actually like that picture, forgivingly fit. We take fitness seriously, at least most of us do. So how about being forgivingly fit? You know, get those forgiving muscles working. Give them a workout every day. Find something to forgive someone for. Exercise the forgiveness muscle. And I think if it's hard for you, start with a smile. A smile is something that is you, your face, and you can give it away. It doesn't cost much, but it's worth a lot. If you start giving away a smile, I think you can start to become more generous in your disposition because forgiveness is actually a form of generosity. The word give is in forgive. And the way we can learn... That way we can learn to be a more forgiving person, a more forgiving family, a more forgiving church community. And that's why it's where it is in the Apostles' Creed, straight after the universal church. Forgiveness is a work of the Holy Spirit. And he loves being involved in forgiveness. Because you know why? It shines a spotlight on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You've heard this pithy proverb, to err is human, to forgive is divine. To err, to make mistakes, is human. To forgive is divine. When we forgive others, do you know what? We become more godlike. We want to be transformed into the image of Christ. When we forgive others, we become more godlike because we know he's forgiven me. That's the glory and the joy of the gospel. Now, if this subject has raised some questions for you this morning, or you'd like to know more, your mind's gone off and explored what I've been saying, or you'd like to pray about this, please talk to me and Michael afterwards. If somebody brought you and you're close to them and you want to talk with them, feel free to do that. But I'd like to pray, and then we'll recite the Apostles' Creed together. Father God in heaven, we, we want to say thank you for this statement. I believe the forgiveness of sins. It does roll off our tongues pretty easily. But Lord, it's a lot more difficult to put into practice, to forgive others as we've been forgiven. Lord, I pray that the transformation that you want to make in me today and in us together is, is what your spirit has brought us here in that divine appointment we were talking about. That we'll be confronted with our failure to forgive. Maybe a failure to receive forgiveness and we're still bearing the debt on our shoulders and we want to see it rolled off, rolled away into the grave gone. We want to receive the forgiveness of Jesus and we'll go and forgive others because of it. Lord, help me to do that. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.